According to a 2019 Business Development Bank of Canada report, there are more than 1.1 million small and mid-sized businesses in Canada. Together, they account for 90% of all private sector jobs and contribute roughly $1 trillion to Canada's GDP. On the flip side, 20% of all startups fail in the first year and around 60% will go bust within their first three years. They fail for many reasons from lack of market demand, poor marketing, or a lack of customer service. But as an entrepreneur, you're often wearing all these hats. So while pursuing success through entrepreneurship can be an extremely rewarding one, it is also not an easy journey to take. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Hey everyone, welcome to the Dentons Agribusiness Podcast Series. My name is Chris Young. Just a reminder, our Ag Tech Pitch Competition is now open and accepting applications. So if you have an innovative product or service that you think can benefit the Canadian agriculture sector, we want to hear from you. There are cash prizes and in-kind legal services from Dentons for the winners of the competition. In today's podcast, I want to focus on startups, not specifically in the agriculture space, but startups in general in Canada. I think often we look only at the startup success stories, but we don't see the process behind the scenes that lead up to that success. I think it is important to look at entrepreneurship from that angle because we often forget the balancing act it takes entrepreneurs to really succeed in the space. The time commitment, investment, and unknowns such as a global pandemic requires entrepreneurs to be resourceful and nimble. Joining me today is Kamala Patel, co-founder and president of Luxidia, to talk about her journey through entrepreneurship. It's one I wanted to share because many founders are having to juggle family life, a full-time professional job, and trying to build a startup all at the same time. Kamala is a wonderful client of Denton's and she is successfully navigating and juggling this entrepreneurship act. Welcome, Kamala. Thank you, Chris, first of all, for inviting me uh, to have this conversation with you. It has been quite a path. And uh, so I am a professor at the University of Calgary in the Snyder Institute for Chronic Diseases. So I was recruited to Canada back in uh, the late 90s because of my research. So I study chronic diseases. I'm very interested in asthma and how the human immune system, which is supposed to protect us, actually works against us in certain types of chronic disease. And so in my role as a professor, I'm involved in teaching uh, and education, as well as research and development. And I use microscopes a lot for what I do. You want to see some of these things happening in real life while they're while it's occurring. And so very early on in my career, uh, along with two colleagues, we co-founded a laboratory called the Live Cell Imaging Laboratory, or the LCI. And the LCI has been around for now nearly 20 years. It has helped researchers at the University of Calgary across Canada and around the world solve problems, mostly using microscopes. And so uh, how did this professional life kind of cross over into entrepreneurialism? Well, quite frankly, when you're working with a wide group of people, they come to us in our live cell imaging laboratory because they have problems and hopefully they want us to solve them. And we started realizing that some of our solutions 
were not just for the one person, but it was a solution that could maybe serve many people. And it was this idea that we were creating these solutions, these ideas that could have an impact in the world around us uh, beyond just the borders in our university environment. And so that is how Luxidia was born. Uh, Luxidia is Lux idea. Lux is light. So it's ideas from light in our microscopes, our light microscopes. So Luxidia. And the first product we had came because a microscope um, company who had gotten to know us because of our education, because of our excellence in research, uh, saw what we were doing. And one of the things we were doing is we were looking in the living, breathing lung to see how immune cells moved in the lung and affected um, behavior and disease. I'm like, ah, oh, one of our clients would love that chamber. Where did you get that? We made it. Can we get one? And that is how we started. So it's, it's interesting. So I want to ask you, do you find that some of the, I guess, skill sets as a professor, as an educator, and as a researcher, you know, does that carry forward to entrepreneurship? Or, or is it the other way? I guess, I guess what I'm trying to ask is like, what is it that have you always been an entrepreneur at heart? And, you know, does that, uh, you know, does some of that entrepreneurialism come from your teaching and from being a professor and all the research that you do? I think that people have this perception of a scientist or a researcher as sitting in a laboratory, solving big you know, questions, kind of off doing this, this research. And the reality is, as a professor and as a researcher, I run a laboratory. First thing I had to do when I arrived in Calgary was hire someone. I had to do interviewing, I had to hire someone, then I had to manage them, uh, then I had to deal with our scientific questions. Well, I had to get a supply chain, I had to get supply, uh, manage our, our finances, I had to write grants. So, and then I had to write all the information out. Then I have to go into the world and tell the world about what we're doing. I go to conferences and, and, and talk about our research. All these different steps is what you need to do to be a successful researcher. And I think those skills transfer very well into the entrepreneurial spaces in terms of, quite frankly, wearing a lot of hats. <laughs> yes, multiple Hat hats is, uh, at one time. Cool. So I, I do think that there's actually quite a few similarities that overlap these areas. Okay, so let's take a look at the industry that you're your uh, Luxidia is in. We're known as the energy, you know, province, the oil and gas, and that's been a long mainstay business. Um, talk a little bit about the industry that you're in. And and I looked at your website and you showed me some of your uh, other materials in our previous meeting. And they're just pretty cool, like the 3D printing and this. this. So talk about that industry a little bit here in Alberta. And, uh, you know, where is it heading? So uh, our industry is diverse. And what I mean by that is we work, we're working in the healthcare sector, specifically in the research sector, but we cross over to education. I described this chamber that's designed to help researchers. Well, we also were approached by uh, educators at the Children's Hospital, and they had a problem. Their problem was they had models they used to teach kids about their asthma, hands-on models that the kids can touch and feel. And, 
but they were ancient. They were falling apart and they couldn't get any more. Well, we use 3D printing to make things in the laboratory, stages, accessories. So we used it to make these models. And so, I mean, literally we make a model that is designed to teach kids about what happens when they have an asthma attack and that the, you know, the airways get really tight and they can't, you can't breathe through it. It's not open and healthy. And, and you know, you get mucus and, and whatnot. So all of this is made using 3D printing to make molds that we then, or then we then create models using uh, silicone. So we've been then interfacing with educators, uh, interfacing with pharmaceutical companies who are interested in, in sharing these with others, um, with schools. So it's a teaching model. But then we're also creating medical uh, research devices and tools to help move research forward. Uh, we also have an educational program that we're in the process of putting online in terms of teaching people in rural areas and at-risk groups about microscopy, folks who might otherwise not really have a chance to, to learn about this. So to say we're in one space is not very accurate. We actually cross into multiple spaces and uh, that's actually part of our, our, our journey and it, part of our challenges. It's interesting because fundamentally it's, it's also an education platform right, from what I'm hearing. And yes, you have all these tools, these cool um, things that aid in the teaching of these concepts. And that in itself, if you look at the online, especially during COVID, I'm 100% sure online courses uh, skyrocketed from a revenue and uh, user standpoint. So is there is there a big push, I guess, in Alberta uh, to develop some of these learning um, platforms to because, you know, we, we all know the Silicon Valley startups like Teachable and some of these other platforms that enable that. Uh, is there one starting to grow in Alberta here? We're, we're seeing more of it. And it's because it is online. It's not unique to Alberta. Uh, it's pretty diverse uh, in terms of its geography. Yet within Alberta, we do have um, several groups that have been advancing ways that we can level the playing field. Um, and online technologies, it's, it's a tough one because depending on your access to the internet, uh, you have limits uh, in terms of how you can reach people. So there are platforms and groups that are working to overcome some of those limits uh, using these types of, of tools. And I think that we're going to see more and more of that as we go forward. Now, talk to me a little bit about, I guess, if you can say balancing your life <laughs> with, uh, well, life in general. Uh, being a professional and being an entrepreneur, how does that how does that work, and how do you manage it? Because I imagine there are t a lot of initiatives on the go at once. Um, so how do you manage all that? Well, first, uh, this is my own uh, philosophy. It was actually shared with me uh, from a friend of mine in the United States who said she hates the term work life balance. She said the reality is it's my life. I have a life. I have a life that involves work. I have a life that involves family. I have a life that involves play. And in my case, I have a life that involves entrepreneurship as well. So this is my life and the different aspects of my life. It, it, in some ways, it's not about balancing the different pieces against each other. For me, it's finding ways that they integrate together um, in a way that is 
hopefully harmonious. Uh, so for example, Luxidia is this commercialization arm for the Live Cell Imaging Laboratory. It is a social enterprise. Our goal is for resources that we generate to go back into supporting community research, research that benefits the community. Also education, again, uh, education um, uh, broadly, but also for at-risk groups in STEM. So these are things that are personal, that matter to me that matter to me in my professional life as a professor at the University of Calgary, that matter to me as an entrepreneur. So I see it not so much as balancing these different pieces, as finding ways for the pieces to fit together in a puzzle that ultimately uh, can sometimes be challenging. I know this piece will fit somewhere, I'm not sure where, but ultimately to put those pieces together because I think when you can overlap the different areas, it's stronger. Yeah, and I think I don't know that's, if that answers your question. No, and I, I, to almost perfect answer, I think, because I, I actually subscribe to that in terms of like, isn't that the perfect entrepreneurial journey is doing something that you love? And if that thing you love is also your professional career, um, what better, you know, connection you have to really grow that? And we see that in successful entrepreneurs. Like, you know, I, I first one comes to mind is like Elon Musk, right? You know he's super passionate about these things, which is why he works twenty four seven to get you know everything going. So you know it's it's almost an amalgamation of that, right? Exactly, so. and of course it's work. It's hard work. Uh, anyone will tell you it's hard work. Yet the 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 satisfaction, the joy, the fulfillment. Hopefully, there's enough of that to balance the frustration, the insanity, the chaos. But I think it all comes together to create a life that is hopefully fun and does some good along the way. Yeah. And so one question I want to ask you is, I mean, just in our current conversation here, I can really tell you're very passionate about what you do. And obviously, you know, we just talked about merging your passion, your entrepreneurship, professional life. Um, you know, what really inspires you? to do what you do? Oh, that's that's a, a good question. I think there's a couple of things that inspire me to do what I do. Um, my research, the reason I started working in asthma was because of my family. And um, my, my mom has asthma, my sister has asthma, uh, but it was really driven home. Uh, my husband has adult onset asthma. And when I was in training, I was actually studying heart disease. Um, he had a massive asthma attack. I mean, it was off to the hospital. You know, it, it was it, it was not good. And one of the things that happened is that particular day, he was my blood donor for the research I was doing. He happened to donate blood for some science we were doing. And it turns out those cells that were causing him so much trouble with his asthma were some of the cells we we were able to look at in the laboratory. So I retooled my research to pursue lung disease. And I don't know if I would find a, a cure or a treatment for him, but I feel like I'm doing good for him. And so when it comes to who inspires me or what inspires me, um, obviously my family, the people I love and I care deeply about, but then the idea that the things that we're learning aren't just for me. I want to share them with others. And, um, I see entrepreneurship uh, as 
almost an extension of research because research, you don't do it just to do it. You do it to make a difference and to change the world if you're doing it right. Um, I see entrepreneurship as another way of doing that. So I guess it's that wanting to make an impact and but it does have that personal touch as well. And now one question I've asked uh, everyone we've interviewed so far is obviously with the global pandemic and how it's affected certain businesses. Um, has the pandemic hit the business side of what you're doing um, in any way or has it uh, forced you kind of pivot uh, how you've uh, built the business or get your word out there, get the distribution, work with partners? Like how has the pandemic uh, affected your business? <laughs> Uh, I think that it's affected all of our businesses. I, I don't think uh, it's had such a huge impact. Uh, some of it's obvious supply chains that fell completely apart. Uh, one of the things we were doing is we were making a stand for our airway models out of acrylic. Well, acrylic is being used for protection uh, in, in front of you know, the bank tellers, the grocery stores. So supply chain. That's an obvious way. Uh, a less than obvious way is uh, it impacts how people interact. It impacts how people um, are, are dealing with each other. And actually connecting with something like Zoom has actually enhanced some of the things that we do, but it also makes it pretty challenging. Um, dealing with, again, supply chain issues when you don't necessarily have the ability to walk into a place and just walk onto a factory floor and talk to someone. The most profound impact though is COVID, um, specifically when you're looking at uh, the effect on the lungs and the most serious people being in hospital and ICUs and on ventilators to help them breathe. Uh, the ones that recover, uh, thank goodness, uh, can sometimes, when we look at SARS, they had lung damage that lasted years. And wow. so we have models that teach people about their lungs. So we modified our models to make ones that are that simulate the the air sacs that you have air exchange that have been damaged during um, the ventilator induced injury. So we've pivoted both how we do things. It's impacted our supply chains, but it changed some of the products that we've created so that we could could, could create ones that would be responsive to the challenges that we currently face. It's amazing. Um, so what's in store for Luxidia for, you know, three to five, whatever you can talk about. Um, <laughs> but what's, what's, what are kind of the overarching plans, uh, for Luxidia? Well, I would say the first plan is to take our airway models and we've moved from prototype to small scale manufacturing. Now we're moving to large scale manufacturing. We really do try to uh, maintain that Canadian ethos. And so we've been looking for Canadian companies to partner with. So in terms of making our models, making our stands, our packaging, uh, how can we enhance our local community in Calgary, in Alberta uh, and in Canada? Uh, so moving these airway models to that larger scale, moving our new models for the air, the alveoli, the air sacs, moving that product along. Um, and so that's a big step in terms of getting that together. But then the other thing is we have a lot of ideas and we've partnered with uh, Platform Calgary. We've done work with Innovate Calgary, uh, the Haskin School of Business. We've had students that have worked with us because we have a lot of ideas and uh, within our live cell imaging laboratory at the Snyder. And, but sometimes a solution for one needs to stay that way. 
It really has no market potential. One person wanted it. Um, so we've actually worked to have tools to identify the things that actually look like they're going to have an impact. We've got about three different product lines. We're in the process, uh, different points in the pipeline to move through. So uh, in the three to five years, we want to move to uh, first the Canadian stage and then the global stage with our airway models. And then we also want to be doing that with our other product lines. Um, maybe you don't want to answer this, but do you see yourself uh, continuing teaching uh, in the post-secondary level? I love level? teaching, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, what's, I mean, I, my research appointment when I came to the university was 80% research, 20% teaching. And then it's, uh, it's balanced. I've taken on different leadership roles through the years, but I love teaching. And um, coming back to that passion, there's something about looking down a microscope and seeing things move and behave, and then getting at the, the way that come, those things come together at a molecular level that just fascinates me, it always will. And then sharing that passion and that fascination and explaining it to someone so that they can look at it and say, wow. So yeah, I'll be teaching. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see an end to the professional uh, uh, aspect of what I do. Yeah. And it may take different forms, such as sure. our conversation today. Uh, but yeah, it's part of who I am, I think. Thank you so much for your time today, Kamala, and sharing your journey and the amazing things you're doing at Luxidium. Thank you for the invitation and thank you for welcoming me into this group. A link to Luxidia can be found in the podcast description below. Thanks everyone for taking time to join us on the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast through whichever platform you're listening to. And don't forget to add your email to our Denton's contact list so you can be notified anytime we have new content. Take care and we will catch you in the next episode.